Continuing on with these great conversations with our 35th District representatives. Right now, I've got uh, Representative Dan Griffey on the line. Dan, how you doing? I'm great. How are you, Jeff? I am good. DEA Administrator Annie Milgram says fentanyl is the single deadliest drug threat our nation has ever encountered. It is everywhere from large metropolis areas to rural America. No community is safe from this poison. You uh, stood up in front of the cameras this past week and called on the governor to declare a fentanyl emergency. Uh, let's talk about that uh, message you gave to him and what a, a dec an emergency declaration could do for this. Well, I mean, first of all, uh, I didn't do an official declaration. It was on the fly, my opinion of what the resources should be, um, you know, uh, brought to bear on this issue. So I thought, you know, yeah, the governor should call a state of emergency. And my thought of the state of emergency is every state agency, uh, every cabinet meeting, um, they would be questioned, what can you do? What can your agency do to help with this <clears throat> this blight that we have, um, the uh, industrious monsters have figured out how to traffic, uh, very easily traffic, uh, one of the most addictive substances and deadly substances on the planet. Um, Department of Homeland Security is letting us all down. The, the interdictions uh, that we have had federally are not working. It's making it to the ground very, very easy. So because we are, I think, being left behind by the, our federal partners, it's up to us to do something right and real about it. You mentioned that uh, the different agencies would kind of be uh, uh, enforced or encouraged to look at this as kind of a top line item when it comes to their meetings. Like you said, DOT could help with trafficking, State Patrol and DOT partnering there. Uh, obviously, OSPI could uh, focus more on how it is within the schools and how to educate our youth on uh, safe practices and, and what to watch out for. Uh, what are some of the other ways different agencies do you think could really make an impact on this? Well, I mean, uh, we could talk, uh, have, bring the prosecutors together. Um, uh, the, the attorney general could convene a prosecutor summit. What are the barriers to prosecuting these cases? And we could ask, they could ask for legislation uh, to make it easier. I mean, <clears throat> uh, some of my Democrat colleagues have kind of gone off the deep end saying, wow, another uh, declaration. And I'm like, why shouldn't we declare um, this? Uh, what is happening? Hundreds of people are dying right now uh, from fentanyl. They say right now 308 people in the United States die a day uh, from fentanyl. So that would be a, a large commercial airplane crashing a day. And if, if that happened, uh, FAA, everybody else, Jeff, would be in the middle of it. But because it's a silent now statistic. Um, we don't care. No, we do care. And we need to get in front of it. And I think a declaration of emergency is long past uh, because I think we're in an emergency state. But we can, uh, you know, like I said, we can get the attorney general to get the prosecutors together, our treatment providers. What are barriers to keeping people clean? Get them together and we can in an emergency way uh, work on that. Also, if you declare an emergency, the siting of treatment facilities, now some of the permitting uh, is eased. Um, so the regulatory uh, burdens that, well, we should ease those altogether, but I segue on that. Um, 
but our burdens are so high for developing any of these that we could suspend those requirements uh, and some of those requirements to quick time stuff. Jeff, this, I think uh, a declaration uh, answers a lot of the questions we have about fentanyl. Um, and so I am going to do an, a, form, a formal uh, request to the governor since I called for it in my speech. Uh, and I will uh, write down all these things that you and I have worked out together on this uh, as, uh, you know, as areas that we can help one another. It just is such a, a prevalent uh, scourge in all aspects of our lives when we talk about it. And it does impact uh, everybody at all levels, whether or not you uh, have family members that may be using or abusing this drug, regardless, it is impacting communities all across um, the state from, you know, high income areas to low income areas as well. So a real interesting uh uh, push now to get this taken care of. And it's not just here in Washington state. Again, the whole country is trying to focus on this. You mentioned a little bit about Department of Homeland Security, but is there more federal uh, help that you have heard about or more federal help that we can as a state advocate for uh, coming in? I know that uh, AG uh, Ferguson just uh, passed, got a, a suit filed from the different uh, opioid company or something like that. So is there different ways that the feds can help supplement what we're trying to do here? Well, I mean, they can, they don't, right? Because this country is still a stuck in a quagmire, whether we should secure our borders, Jeff. I mean, that really is where we're at. We should secure our borders. We shouldn't let this garbage just come in uh, freely to this country. And without secure borders, we can't. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security can't. Uh, make as big an impact as they need to. But it's not only coming over on the borders that way, it's coming into container ships. Jeff, this is really easy um, to just uh, stow away in a box somewhere. <clears throat> we don't even have um, our uh, drug detecting dogs. We're, we kind of backed off drug detecting dogs because they were uh, they were uh, designed and, and trained to detect mainly marijuana. And since that became legal, um, they don't uh, they don't detect a lot of drugs. Um, but our law enforcement are asking for tools, and the, one of the tools is they want fentanyl detecting dogs. They want our dogs retrained uh, for that. They want a little bit of immunity when it comes to the dogs hitting on um, uh, fentanyl because sometimes cancer patients walk around with fentanyl patches because it's a very good treatment for those de uh, with debilitating pain, uh, cancer being one of the causes of that. So law enforcement just says, hey, we'd like these dogs retrained. And if the dog hits on it, <clears throat> we would like it to be kind of a no harm, no foul. Um, we could ask questions about it. Uh, and then law enforcement, they, they said they know how um, to detect what the difference is, whether this this person uh, has a lot of press fentanyl on them or uh, if they don't. So uh, let's give them the tools uh, and let's take this as seriously as it should be taken. And, you know, what you just mentioned a little while ago um, uh, played true for me, the amount of people that I. I heard that I heard from on Facebook that you and I know uh, were in tears uh, telling me that um, they had a loved one that had passed away, a cousin, a nephew uh, is off the charts. Jeff, every one of us knows somebody that uh, has um, 
that is in in terrible pain uh, because of fentanyl. Um, why shouldn't it be an emergency? Why shouldn't we take it that seriously? You bring up the do- uh, dogs and and retraining them and allowing uh, the enforcement agencies to kind of uh, look into this a little bit more. It kind of also call- falls right in line with what you're advocating for and the changes in the police pursuit laws, just kind of yeah. additional ways uh, that the police can do their job at hand and understand, uh, you know, well, you know, why are you getting pulled over? Well, your your car matches the description of something <laughs> that was involved in an incident. I just want to find out if that was you or not. You know, one of yeah. those types of things. Well, we call it a Terry stop. Uh, Terry stops are uh, constitutional, uh, and it's an it's just an inquiry. It's just to see uh, if that's to happen. No harm, no foul. If it's not right, if it was the white car and um, the whole uh, front end was torn off because it hit another car, it's pretty quick for the officer to determine that. Well, they couldn't put that front end back on that quickly, right? I mean, it is common sense, Jeff. Um, and I believe that we've emboldened uh, criminal behavior in Washington State by our lax policies. I, I hate to say our Washington State's lax policies on crime. Let's 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 move the needle a little bit. Let's get the those that would harm our communities. Let's get them looking over their shoulders again. We are going to uh, hear the initiative tomorrow at 9 a.m. in a joint uh, uh, session. Um, both the the public safety and uh, uh, committee and uh, the Senate committees uh, will hear that bill. Uh, we have over 3,000 people in favor and 100 against. Um, there's 100 people that want to testify and 90% of them are pro. Um, Washingtonians knows know the deal. They know that, that our policies have emboldened uh, criminal behavior. They know that they feel less safe and they're really worried about their families. Let's give our law enforcement those tools that we need to give them. That is one of the six initiatives that will be put forth in front of the voters this November, where I was talking with uh, Senator McEwen last week. Three are going to get a hearing. Three are not going to get a hearing in the ledge this session. You are on the Community Safety, Justice, and Reentry Committee, Local Government, and Transportation Committee. I read an article on Mason Web TV that the House passed the supplemental budget, uh, transportation budget for about 14 $3 billion. What can you tell me about what was in there, some benefits to the 35th, or just good uh, good policy for the state? So it's really good policy for the state. So the Senate took a tax that the carbon, um, uh, the CCA money, that the, the carbon tax that we all pay at the mm-hmm. pump now, they took the tax that they put all of our projects in jeopardy, saying that if that um, initiative passes, that our projects that are fully funded by constitutional protected gas taxes, by the way, are are then uh, going to be put on hold. The, the House transportation budget, we were able to work really aggressively in a nonpartisan way with the the chair of that committee, and we removed all those holds. So the benefit for the 35th district is in our budget, um, the CCA uh, passenger failure does not affect whether we get uh, the Belfair bypass or the Highway 3 freight corridor, uh, formerly known as a bypass. Um, That's the best thing that it does. It is a more conservative budget. Um, We ask in a lot of areas for DOT, on some of their overages to the projects, 
um, go find a better way to do it and then come back to us and ask for money later. Um, we told them to live within their means and with their budgeted amounts. Um, it was a more conservative budget. Um, I was very proud to be involved with the authoring of that budget, and I was proud to vote yes. Now, there's some things in there I think that we kind of waste money on, but you can't have everything you want when you're spending $14 billion. Uh, but it, we, as close as we could possibly get in that transportation budget, and I'm really uh, proud of the work product that we have in the House here. Your constituents uh, in the 35th, the north part of the district, uh, often travel from uh, our side of the water over to the Seattle side via the ferry service. Is there any continued conversation about what the heck is going on with the ferries? So um, our our caucus, our, the House Republican caucus in that, uh, the House Transportation Committee, um, uh, asked that we delay the hybridization of the ferries. Um, if we did that, we could get two new ferries in the water uh, in two years, and we need more ferries right now. Uh, we have two crises uh, in ferries, one staffing, uh, which we are uh, we have worked really hard at changing uh, the pathway to able seamen and first mate uh, and into the, you know, into the wheelhouse to drive, actually operate the boat. Um, also, the uh, mechanics or the oilers and uh, the wipers, the people that work actually in the machine room, we worked really hard. Um, to expedite those pathways so they could get Coast Guard certification. Um, but the other thing is we're out of ferries, Jeff. They're delaying uh, 1,000, almost no, 1,300 um, missed sailings uh, last year alone. That, uh, for some of the ferry-dependent uh, communities, that is intolerable uh, number of cancellations. So we offered up that we would delay the hybridization of the ferries, build the two uh, new ferries, get them on the road or on the water now, uh, and then work towards hybridization later. Uh, but we believe that there's going to be a better power plant. It doesn't need to be diesel for the hybrid. It should be hydrogen. And we think that there is hydrogen technology that is about a year out that could just bolt in. Um, so... Uh, the the diesel electric hybridization, I think, is now old technology. And if, if we're just patient, we'll actually get a technology that is easier to maintain uh, and uh, and actually better for the environment. Such a unique transportation mode here that we have here in the great Northwest. It is a, it is a tough one and uh, it is heavily relied on by so many people. Let's talk a little bit about uh, you and your uh, Democrat counterparts here. You know, there's always a lot of uh, back and forth on this side and that side. When it comes down to it, I think uh, everybody, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for the most part, everybody kind of moves towards the same path, making Washington better. Uh, how much would you say is the commonality that you have with your Democrat counterparts in the House. And then, you know, you guys work on the edges to try to get some of the things. But for the most part, everybody's kind of on the same page. Well, yeah. I yeah. Mean, uh, no, I don't no, know. I'm just no, I'm no, asking here. Like, like not anymore. Like 10 years ago when I first got here, I would uh -huh. say that was more the case. Uh, I think we're polar opposed. On is it just things. like is it just like fed, the federal government now? It, it's not as uh, 
it's not as bipartisan as I'd like to see it. Like I, I just told you of a good bipartisan thing that happened in the House Transportation Committee. It's amazing. Um, but when it comes to crime, criminals, um, uh, people uh, serving time, we are polar opposites. Like there is no give. I told you we'd left uh, let almost 50% of the people incarcerated people out of our correctional facilities now since the beginning of COVID. So there's thousands of people we've let out. Um, and our crime is through the roof. Um, we don't have enough community correction officers to supervise all those people that we put out, which it's mandatory that they are supervised. Um, so we let them out in such a willy-nilly fashion with almost no planning um, that they're recommitting crimes at a very high rate. Um, Washingtonians want to see something different, and we're going to have to change. Uh, but on that, we're polar opposites. On uh, rent control, we're polar opposites. Like, Jeff, if you own a house, is it the job is it the job of the government or should it be the job of the government to tell you how much you can rent your property for? I mean, that we're polar opposites on that. I say no. I say the free market dictates how much uh, the free market and um, your costs dictate how much you have to charge to recover that. Uh, luckily, we defeated that bill, but we barely defeated that bill. It was two Democrats uh, in the Senate that um, that came our way, or we wouldn't have defeated even the rent control bill. So we have we have some diametrically opposed opinions, um, and that's only getting worse. I you know I think I, I've talked to talked to you about this in the past. You know, social media. I think. Uh, breeds some of this. It used to be if you would uh, tell somebody what a terrible human they were to their face, you might get a bloody nose. Right. Now you say all kinds of stuff, and there you could just be the you know the Facebook rock star, right? Look at all this stuff, and and there's no cost uh, to open in your mouth any longer. And then if somebody tries to push back, then they get a bunch of their buddies, and those buddies just push them, you know, kick them while they're down. It's just, there's not as much free thinking, free communication as I would like to see. I, I think um, our founders of this great country thought that uh, our republic would be always an experiment. And that experiment of ideas would demand that we have uh, intellectual exchanges. You tell me why you believe what you believe, and I tell you why I believe what I believe. We change each other's minds maybe 20%. We made a 40% better uh, country because of it. Um, us not talking to each other and just being in our own corners, which I, I always try to talk to them. I'm, I'm not trying to be that person, but it's getting harder and harder and harder to uh, to articulate um, what I'm trying to say, because there's these fixed opinions. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sad to tell you, it, it, it's not as bipartisan as was when you first started interviewing me. Well, hey, I mean, I had to ask. I was just wondering how that worked. I do uh, have a question for you. I got we, one of our one of the constituents was pulled me aside the other day and said, "Next time you talk to these guys, ask them what the deal is with." Um, propane and having the ability to have propane do you know anything about this moving well through the... the 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 majority party wants to ban natural gas okay. uh, after you know uh, at the very tail end of a incentive program that we just finished to incentivize people to hook up to natural gas which i find uh problematic um 
<clears throat> yeah, I mean, we need transitions, Jeff, and propane and natural gas are transitions. They're good transition fuels. They are good uh, on the environment. They pr produce very little emissions. Um, but anything that produces any kind of greenhouse emission is off limits uh, to the majority party here. And they, they in earnest want to ban propane and natural gas as a, a heat source, as a cooking source. Uh, and to be honest with you, Jeff, I think we should be burning it in our vehicles because it's like 88% less carbon tailpipe carbon emissions if that's where they really want to go is reduce carbon emissions. It is a good transition fuel that can be burned in internal combustion uh, engines. And the funny thing is, is like I said, three years ago, we had huge incentives to get people to switch over. Um, it, they are too, um, some members of this legislature are too exuberant in the change they would like to see. And we have got to be slower. We have to be way more methodical. Um, right around the corner, uh, we will have um, those solutions, right? The innovators are innovating at breakneck speeds right now. And if we stay patient, we, will, we won't make the mistakes of the past. You know, I tell everybody the compact fluorescent um, light bulbs, the government, oh, like, yeah. buy them, buy them. Boy, the whole world's going to be better because you buy them. And then we had to set up a whole... Um, uh, a process where we're, we now have to treat them as hazardous waste, which they always were, right? Because there's a lot of hazardous material that goes in them. Mm -hmm. uh, the government, when the government picks um, what the, does the job the innovators should do, uh, it never works out for all of us. I think the same thing's going to happen for our battery electric cars. The government has pushed us in a position of ease and expedience. So it makes it look like we're doing something right and real. We're raping the earth, the rare earth minerals to build these cars. Um, and then uh, in five, 10 years, Jeff, I bet you money that we're going to have to come up with a uh, battery buyback program that all the taxpayers will have to pay for to get those dang hazardous material batteries out of our environment. Um, Jeff, you can see these things, you know, plain as day if you really read history, um, and it's going to happen. Uh, so let's not make the mistake. Let's uh, do the transition to hydrogen at the rate that we should. You know, I argued against a bill uh, three years ago on the House floor. It was going to ban internal combustion engines. And I'm like, time out, people. This isn't what you want. You want less tailpipe emissions, Right. If you ban internal combustion engines in Washington state, you can't burn hydrogen in them, which produces nearly no emissions, Jeff. So we got a lot of problems still, um, but I will always try to um, negotiate uh, from a position of, uh, well, in intellect, if you will, um, and um, hopefully uh, slow down uh, some of the things that affect us so terribly, but yeah, Unfortunately, Jeff, they want to ban propane and they want to ban um, natural gas. Hmm. And hmm. I find it uh, alarming. It was well, a long way to get there. but Well, no, I was. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> seeing a, a commercial for a car company and it was talking about their innovations. And and that was one of the things they said is in a few years, you can bring your car in and we'll we'll be able to do a hydrogen conversion for you. So you still have your same car. Uh, they're pretty interesting stuff. And yeah, you're right. The uh, the scientists are moving 
fast. The technology is changing quickly. I was reading an article too just yesterday that EV push to fully electric is kind of stalled and they're looking back no, more of the the hybrid battery hybrid technology. And that's what I have in, in one of my cars and I really enjoy it. It gives me a lot of gas mileage and I'm not concerned that I'm going to get stuck on the side of the road or my battery all of a sudden uses you know, half the power because it's cold outside and I got the heater on, things like that. Hmm. Well, yeah, trans transition opportunity is what we need. We need to uh, not, you know, not completely overhaul our lives, uh, right? Uh, we also need to get to and from work. And unfortunately, you know, there's some areas, uh, a lot of areas of Washington state that doesn't have alternative modes of transportation. Um, uh, transit does isn't... Um, a great option to get to and from a job when you have to get there at a certain time uh, all over the state. So you have to drive and you can't take away uh, from some of the poorest people uh, their driving modes so they can actually uh, take care of themselves and their families. Um, you've got to give them something other than nothing. Oh, other than spending $100,000 or $50,000 on a car that might not get them all the way to work. Sure, for sure. Yeah, I just I see those cars on the side uh, getting their batteries charged up, and I go, "Well, I, I I wouldn't I don't ever want to plan to have to sit somewhere for thirty five forty minutes minimum to get a couple more miles down the road." Thirty fifth district representative Dan Griffey here. Dan Griffey is his website where you can stay in touch, get his email updates and more. We're getting close to the end of this session, right? We are just about over. All right, Dan. Well, we look forward to a legislative recap and a wrap up. I know there's one uh, coming uh, down the pike and we'll make sure that we uh, promote that when it comes. Thanks so much for your time. It's always good to talk with you, Dan. Good talking to you, Jeff. Have a nice week.